Welcome to the Mommy and Maine podcast, a community that honors, celebrates, and supports you in your motherhood journey every step of the way. They say that when a baby is born, so too is a mother, and since becoming one myself, I believe this in my core to be true. Motherhood is a rite of passage, a spiritual awakening, and a deep transformation. It's both beautiful and brutal, often at the same time, changing every fiber of our being. Join me and local experts every week for conversations that will enlighten, inform, and encourage you. Prepare for baby's arrival and prepare for your own as well. Here we'll cover it all. With a greater sense of understanding and compassion, we can start to feel less alone and burnt out and instead more connected and whole. This is where you learn to be both mommy and me. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining me today on another episode of the Mommy in Maine podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. How are you? Good. How are you, Mackenzie? I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, I can't wait to have this chat. Um, why don't we start just with you kind of sharing a little bit about your background and about yourself, whatever you'd like to um, pass along, and then we'll we'll dive right in. Sure. Um, so uh, my name is Chelsea Pellerin. Um, I am a Mainer and uh, I went to college and um, school to become an occupational therapist. I graduated from UNE um, and then I spent the last few years of my career working in pediatrics. Uh, I spent some time in a school system and then I Uh, My last job was in a um, local sensory-based outpatient clinic, Um, and then I decided um, after becoming a mom um, that I wanted to kind of take a break from my career um, and stay at home with uh, my daughter, and then it became my two daughters, Mm -hmm. Um, and while I was home with them, um, a lot of my friends and family started to become, I'm pregnant and have families as well. And I just, um, started to become this like resource of information for them. Um, I was getting lots of texts and calls just being like, Hey, how are you working on this level of development? Like my baby only rolls from one side or she doesn't roll at all or absolutely hates tummy time. Um, and so after I was kind of providing all this information, um, I decided that I knew that my next career uh, kind of move was going to be working within the preventative care um, instead of going back to therapy. So from that, um, my business called Playful Development was born. Um, and right now, um, we I'm offering um, infant and parent play groups. Uh, right now it's just pre-crawling babies, uh, but hoping to kind of expand more. Um, and, uh, yeah, we are running them, uh, Wednesday mornings at raise and it's been going so well. Um, I just feel super great about not only being like a resource for my friends and family, but then like also reaching parents, um, in the community. Uh, and it's just been, I think just a great learning experience for me and for the parents and yeah, it's been really great. So that's kind of what's what I'm doing right now. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations on the birth and growth of your business, Playful Development. That's a huge, exciting thing. Um, And so proud of you and like, thank you, you know, thank you for putting yourself out there and providing these um, support groups and play groups for uh, babies and their families, because it is really difficult to know necessarily, especially if you're not familiar. Like, I think tonight I'm extra excited for our conversation just because I'm also in the OT space. So like, we're just going to get that kind of thing together. Um, but those of people, you know, the, <clears throat> excuse me, those people that aren't familiar with OT and necessarily like the early intervention space or just pediatrics in general, and the focus on developmental milestones and all those sorts of things, like it can be overwhelming when you, when you have this brand new baby that you're trying to learn and figure out. And also you're, you know, sort of aware of these milestones that are supposed to be happening, but then there's so many questions that are surrounding that, right? Like, you know, oh, I know my baby should crawl, but when, or, you know, when should they roll? And is it okay if it's only to one side or not? And, and all that sort of thing, right? Or they have a preference for turning their head to one side and all of that 
is super important and all related back to their function. So definitely deserves um, a spot to be, you know, to have that attention and skilled service in. So good for you for doing what you do. Tonight, we're focusing though on um, specifically sensory stuff, because that's kind of also another one of your big niches, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, when I, I knew that I wanted to create these uh, kind of play groups um, based on sort of the developmental milestones and making sure I was um, kind of helping support and build confidence in parents. Um, but one thing was, was that I had taken this course, online course over the summer um, for credits towards my license that was about sensory processing in infants. Um, and it just sort of like opened my eyes to um, stuff that I, or like how I use my knowledge of being in that sensory clinic um, with my own kids and how important um, it has been like starting toddlerhood and moving through toddlerhood, just having this like base of knowledge of sensory processing, what's it, what it looks like um, in different individuals, how it kind of like shows up and how important it is from our day-to-day -day life um, and how it really affects our day-to-day -day life. So um, because of that kind of like realization that how much I actually use it with my girls, even though they're so young, um, that became like a huge part of my playgroups too. So um, that's one thing that I like to... Uh, do within my playgroups and just kind of like um, sneak that in because I think it's something that parents don't necessarily think of when they think of infants um, until it's like their kid is screaming in their face and they're like what is happening and they're like the root of it is like this sensory processing um, disorder or something going on with their sensory system um, where they're having trouble with you know modulation or figuring out like uh, how it's really affecting their body. Um, so yeah, my goal, my also my other goal with the playgroups is just kind of like educate parents. Um, so you kind of prevent that from happening, or at least they have these like tools in their back pocket to be able to understand and pick activities and kind of like prep their babies and their toddlers and then their children um, as they kind of start to grow and develop and it doesn't end up trying to keep more kiddos out of therapy. <laughs> Right, right. No, absolutely. And it is something that's often overlooked, I think, especially as you mentioned from such an early age, such as infancy, right? Like sensory processing and, and just our senses in general, right? Are They're so naturally integrated into everything we do every day that that's why it's so overlooked because we don't, we don't think that it's something as simple as that. Um, so that's so great and, you know, important. I think that you're putting all of that together within your play groups and educating on the importance and like recognition of what sensory processing is among everything else, right? Their normal developmental, developmental milestones, their normal behavior, their presentation, all of that. So why yeah. don't you first start off with just kind of sharing um, a brief sort of description for those that might not be as aware of what exactly um, sensory processing is um, or like, and what our senses are. Sure. So um, basic sensory processing is how our body receives and then organizes and then just responds to sensory information um, from our different sensory systems. Um, and really, uh, sensory processing is an essential part of living and surviving. Um, and it helps us, all this information helps us to learn, helps us to complete tasks, basically like anything that we do. Um, and so our, it receives information from our eight senses. Uh, so your are the typical senses that I think everyone really knows is called our olfactory, which is our smell, our gustatory, which is our taste, um, our tactile, which is our touch sense, visual, auditory, which is hearing. Um, but the ones that and not necessarily are kind of like less talked about are, is your vestibular system, um, which is your sense of movement. Uh, it responds to moving forward, backward, rotating, um, and it kind of picks up, detects motion and gravity through these receptors in your inner ear. Um, and this helps us understand what direction we're moving and what position our body is in space. So are we sitting right side up? Are we upside down? Are we curved to the side? 
Um, and then the next one is called proprioception. Um, and that is a system of receptors in our muscles, joints, tendons, ligaments um, that receive and send sensory information to the brain about where our body is positioned and kind of what the movement that we're doing. Are we walking? Are we standing? Are we sitting? Um, and it's that sense that if you were to close your eyes, um, it's going to give you all the details of um, how your body is positioned. So are your legs crossed? Are your hands folded? Are you grasping an object? Um, and it also is a sense that helps you understand what kind of like force you're going to need to like grasp something or push or pull a door open. Um, and then the last your eighth sense um, is actually interoception, which is the sensory system within your body. Um, and it works to regulate hunger, thirst, your digestive system, your bowel and bladder movements, body temperature tells you your heart rate. Um, and this receives information just from all your organs and is pretty essential in, in functioning from day to day. Um, so for kind of an example of how all of our sensory systems kind of work together, uh, you can take the example of taking a drink or a drink of water. Um, our interoceptive system is going to tell us that we're thirsty and, or that we want something to drink. Our vestibular system is going to make sure that our bodies are in an upright position because we can't drink when we're upside down, <laughs> turn sideways. Um, and then our proprioceptive system is going to help to control our movements to pick up use an appropriate grasp to glass or grasp the glass that we have, um, and then bring it to our mouth. And then our tactile system lets our body know when there's water in our mouth and then to kind of begin drinking and swallowing. So it's kind of an example of how our sensory system sort of all works together. I love that example. And it's so good to point out because, and that's just one, like everything we do, all of those senses are, you know, working together. But right. again, so often those things, those tasks, those movements, those whatever activities that we're involved in, some of them are like from rote memory, right? So it's so simple or it seems so simple that we really don't stop to think about everything, um, every sense or, you know, every part of our body that is involved in accomplishing those things. Yes. Yeah. So you can imagine if you had a difficulty with any one of those sensory systems with whether it's um, you have sometimes you might have problems with sensory discrimination which is uh, just your receptors figuring out uh, what's happening um, or uh, there's another term called sensory modulation uh, which is kind of your response um, and how your brain decides uh, what kind of um, uh, stimuli to attend to, what ones to ignore. Um, so yeah, they just, this is <laughs> sensory processing is just kind of like how it all just works together. Yeah. Talk about a whole new world too. And I'm, I'm already thinking of like <clears throat> infants, especially, you know, where you're born and then you're so used to this dark, warm space inside the womb. Right. And now boom, brand new world, so many things to figure out. And so many of those are you know, sense related, right? There's bright lights, there's loud noises now that, you know, that baby wasn't used to before. They're being put on their tummy on the floor and they're touching the carpet or reaching mm -hmm. for later on, reaching for certain toys that might be crinkly. And now we have that auditory input a little bit and some of that tactile input. Um, so talk about like just so much to learn and discover as a baby and and, you know, no wonder it can sometimes be overwhelming, but also, you know, so important to introduce and integrate at such an early age, again, um, just to really get these systems and processes working together and in tandem. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the idea with it, just like integrating it so early, especially really um, trying your best to expose them to as many things as you can during infancy is that the more times they are kind of exposed to different sort of stimuli, the more times their body is going to have that practice of um, receiving that input through their sensory systems, their brain figuring out what it is, and then having an appropriate response to it. Um, so the idea kind of is just that the more practice that they have, the more regulated they will be when they have to experience that again. Absolutely. And of course, that's only going to continue and, and grow as they get older, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that goes back to the importance of, right, all these int introductions of all these different senses and, you know, sensory 
fun. Really, there's so many activities and such. Um, how would like, what are some examples, I guess, do you have any um, suggestions of how to like simple how to integrate sensory to um, maybe your newborn or, or I'm thinking like those first few months um, when they're mostly, you know, on their belly, maybe, or hopefully, right, doing tummy time and that kind of thing to just start introducing some of those sensory things. Sure. So um, ones that you probably don't even know that you're already doing, which is great, is tummy time and infant massage are two great um, activities to start incorporating what, what we were calling the proprioceptive input. Um, and that also helps with developing their body awareness as well. Um, so when you're providing input, sensory input to their joints and their ligaments and their muscles, um, you're helping them figure out where their body is. Um, and that's helping with that proprioceptive system. And then uh, your vestibular system, as you wear them um, on your bodies, as you carry them around, um, what's kind of called in like vertical play. Um, so you're holding them upright, either against your body. Um, that's helping them develop their vestibular system, rocking them, dancing with them is great. Um, and then the other big one that I always suggest is doing um, integrating naked playtime. I know it's kind of hard in the winter, <clears throat> um, but uh, as it starts to warm up, or if you can in the winter too, um, just having their uh, skin and exposed to a lot of different tactile input is great. Um, we had uh, a play group that was just focused on exposing their babies to different sort of tactile input. And we did water, um, we did different sort of textures from like soft. Um, if you could even think about, there's a completely different texture between like carpet and like a soft baby blanket and like a leather couch and um, a towel. Like those are all completely different senses that you as an adult, like might not necessarily feel completely different, but it's because your body has had lots of exposure to this, but to a newborn, um, just those subtle texture changes um, might be exactly what their need, their body needs to kind of like activate that tactile system um, and kind of really help start, start to develop, to develop that and uh, decrease any sort of, or just kind of like desensitize their body to it. So they're not just always exposed to those like cuddly, soft, nice, warm cotton clothes type thing. Right. <laughs> Cause there are non-pleasant textures out there too, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I love those examples you give, and that's super <laughs> and um, relatable, of course. Like, we all have those sorts of things around the house. Like, it doesn't need to yeah. be complicated. I think that's an important thing to remember. Yeah, and it could even be, I, oh, I have suggested this to parents, too. You don't even need to necessarily make it a play activity. Just change yeah. their diaper on a different texture. Um, switch that up, because uh, that's you're already undressing them anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's always a... A good yeah. way to sneak it into your already busy routine. For sure. Right. It doesn't need to look like the Pinterest, you know, you have a whole separate room in your house set up for sensory play. That's going to get, you know, super messy or super whatever. Like it doesn't need to be really regimented. Like you can use simple things and do it just little by little. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What would it look like then? Um, I, you mentioned the word like desensitizing our bodies. And I think maybe to those that might are not like are not as familiar with this subject that might sound like a bad thing I feel like you know you want like desensitizing you know whatever but it's really that's a good thing right that means more exposure to to certain textures and um, different experiences for the body to undergo so how later on um, maybe in uh, later infancy or as they enter toddlerhood how does that show up or like how might that child present if their system Basically, I'm getting into like the avoiding versus or, or insensitivity sure. versus like seeking <clears throat> a little bit of that and sort of explain like the how the different um, systems can can respond based on how much input um, and sensory exposure a child has or has not gotten. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know. And maybe somewhere out there who somebody out there who has done like a ton of research on this. I don't necessarily know if sensory preferences I mean, I would think that they're kind of ingrained in us and something that comes from birth. So it's not necessarily totally impacted by how much exposure we've had. Um, 
but basically everyone has different sensory processing uh, or different sensory preferences um, and a different threshold of like tolerance for how much we can tolerate a different input to our different senses or different systems. Um, so I think the term that's kind of more common and, and thrown around a lot is um, like sensory sensitive or avoiding versus like sensory seeking. Um, so maybe I'll take a few minutes just to kind of like go through those. Yeah. Um, so when our bodies are sensitive to any sort of type of sensory input, um, it kind of means that we are over responsive and have a lower threshold or a lower tolerance to how much we can tolerate before it starts to bother us or before we start becoming distressed. Um, and this, it causes us to be like overly sensitive. So, um, if someone is, has kind of like an over responsive auditory system, they are hearing any sort of tick movement sound, um, that comes in. And so, um, that can kind of be overwhelming if they're with an environment that is loud or has lots of things like going on. Um, and so we kind of refer to this type of response as sensory sensitive. And then another term that's frequently used are, are called sensory avoiders. Um, and these are very similar to responses that are sensitive. However, um, people who feel like they're sensory avoiders are more likely to act on it and they're going to do something to help avoid becoming overwhelmed with the input. Um, and so this sort of has, you kind of have to have um, some, an understanding of a situation or be able to in like anticipate that something is going to happen. So you are going to avoid that situation. So you understand that concerts don't work well with you. So you avoid them or just going outside or, um, yeah, I, I don't know if those are good examples, but, um, like a busy mall or I was trying to kind of keep going on the auditory thing, but, um, or like grass super bothers your feet or something like that. You are going to anticipate that grass is going to bother your feet. So you avoid it or sticky sand. So you don't go to the beach. Like those sorts of things are kind of like what would be called like sensory avoiding. Um, so does that kind of make sense? The difference between sensory sensitivity and then. Yeah, okay. definitely. Okay. <clears throat> so then the opposite of that um, is an under responsive system when uh, we are not as responsive to sensory input and we have a higher threshold for how much input we can tolerate. Um, and so oftentimes your body is is under responsive to a side, to a type of sensory system, it can lead you to seek out more input. So these um, types of people who prefer this are often called those like sensory seekers. Um, and because they want this like high level of input. Um, and I think generally these people are known as like super active um, because uh, just like one way that you get a ton of input is just like constantly moving your body um, and just like bouncing from one thing to another or they like like visually stimulating environments. They like really loud things. They're gonna go to those concerts. They're gonna be love bumping up against people. They're gonna um, just really kind of prefer that sort of um, sensory input because their bodies can tolerate it. Yeah. Um, and then there is, just like you have sensitivity and avoiding, um, there is another category um, called low registration. I don't know if you have ever heard of it, um, but low registration is the same as um, sensory seeking where you have an under responsive system with a high threshold. However, you don't act to seek out anything. Um, your body just kind of, um, 
<laughs> I feel like you tend to be a little more calm. Um, it takes a lot of input to notice that something's happening. Um, you might bump into a lot of things because you're not really sure where your body is in space um, because you're not receiving enough input through your proprioceptive system or your vestibular system to really register where your body is. Um, you might not notice that somebody's calling their name, your name because your auditory system isn't recognizing yet. Um, and yeah, I just, I feel like I know a lot about this category because a lot of my own sensory systems fall into this. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely not extreme. It does not affect my day to day. Um, but my overall environment has to be like pretty stimulating, uh, for me to attend to it. I feel like at work, um, we, I used to always just like joke with my coworkers that like meetings had to be like pretty exciting. Cause otherwise I was like, <laughs> not there. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that would, it honestly made like college pretty hard because when you're in those huge classrooms and no one's like really like making sure you're paying attention, like I had to make sure there, um, was things that I could do to keep my body engaged. Almost. Um, and I really feel like a lot of it is just like my auditory system. Like I can be super zoned in and focused on something and I can't hear like people talking or like things going on around me. Um, and then I kind of, I like enjoy having proprioceptive input. So I really like weighted blankets. Um, I have a hard time, like, like right now I'm sitting with like my knees up, like cross-legged. I like to be like crumpled in a ball, like having just like that sort of input. Um, but I'm not, I, I'm not a seeker. So I'm, I don't constantly move. Um, I just like, like that input. I don't know if that makes any yeah, sense. I'm no, hoping to give some sort of yeah, it just goes to show that you're very aware of your own preferences and your own thresholds, which is super important for everyone to be, because um, we're all so different. And, and sometimes it does take some learning, right? Like it's not necessarily innate to just know how you're going to respond to something right away. Like it takes learning and practice and, you know, you figure out what, and, and it's okay either way. Like, I think it's important to mention that no matter which type you are uh, or whatever your threshold and preferences are, like there's not necessarily anything wrong with either of those. It's more a matter of making sure we're able to go about our day and know that about ourselves so that we do set ourselves up for success in terms of like, like you said, you know, if someone knows they don't do well with a lot of noise, like, well, they probably won't go to that concert necessarily. Or let's say, even if they're just at home, like, I mean, for me specifically, I can handle a good amount of input, but I'm not someone that like my fiance can, he can have, the radio on he can have the tv on people can have like four conversations going and he's fine with it and like and our kids crying right and i'm like melting at that point i was like mm -hmm. i can't I, I can you know focus on so many things but that for me like auditory stuff like that is a huge trigger and i and i know that about myself so there's not necessarily anything wrong with me because i can't handle the same amount that he can it's just that I know myself well enough to <clears throat> remove myself from the room for a few minutes to just kind of decompress and realize like, I need a minute of quiet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And same for kids. Like, I think it's, it's two totally different conversations for like, we could have a whole episode just on like parent sensory preferences exactly. and processing and how we kind of go about our day and deal with our kids in, in the mix of all of that. Um, but for children specifically, um, again, nothing wrong with what their system is and, and it can change, it can grow and adapt and modify as they, um, learn more, um, especially some of those coping techniques or, you know, strategies to go about certain things, um, if that's going to help them. Uh, so how about some examples, I guess, for, for those parents that might be listening that are like, Ooh, I feel like my child might be this, or, you know, they scream when the sock is put on just slightly the wrong way. Like the seam is slightly the wrong way against their toes. Or, um, you know, my kid seems to be fine with a lot of music, like all of those sorts of things. Can we just maybe give some like practical examples of, um, or just what it might look like, like how children might present differently? Sure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Um, I always kind of like to talk about my own children. Uh, 
because I have two completely opposite kiddos. Um, and again, exactly what you said, like, um, everyone, like normal functioning humans all across the board, we all have different sensory preferences. And that does not mean that there is anything wrong with any of us. Um, we, and this, our sensory preferences change, just like you said, as you kind of mature, um, it could change the morning after you're well rested and have a meal when like completely at night, you may have different, completely different, uh, abilities to tolerate different things. Um, and kids are the exact same way. So, um, I, just, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's, I'm just no. thinking out loud here. That's something to keep in mind too. Like on the parenting end of it is sometimes I think it's easy to get frustrated with our kiddos when it, you know, something to us might seem so simple or like, you know, they shouldn't be having a tough time with it. Or again, like you said, I can see myself or others being like, why is this so difficult tonight? Like you did it fine this morning. And now all of a sudden you're, you know, having a meltdown over this, like what the heck, but yeah. again, it comes down to like time of day and, you know, did they, do they have food in their systems? And it's just so important. I think to just keep that, you know, front of mind for before we like jump the gun with discipline necessarily, or, or, or even just frustration, like meeting them with our frustration and, and annoyance sometimes, which I know we all don't mean to. And we, then we, of course we have that mom guilt after, um, but like, to just rem remember that, that, you know, it's going to fluctuate. And, and again, their system might be different than ours. So just keeping that in mind. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 definitely. Um, just the one thing that I preach at playgroups too, is that <clears throat> we have to be respectful of everybody else's preferences because for what something feels like to you might feel completely different to someone else. Um, so yeah, just also understanding that about our children too um then we set so them yeah. up for success ultimately right yes exactly so um I have two daughters um my first one I started to notice that she has more of a sensitive sensory system um because she was very aware of all these like subtle noises like a far off plane coming and I'd be like what what are you talking about? Um, and then I would hear it. Um, and then it was just like normal everyday noise noises. She would honestly like sprint and sit in my lap, come to just like, I was actually like hearing them. Um, so I knew that she was hearing what she was hearing was a lot louder and probably more scary than what I was hearing. Um, and then, uh, I started to notice that even though this is a great example, even though <laughs> I'm an OT. Um, I love having her uh, get messy and experience all these tact tactile experiences. Um, she has a big tactile sensitivity. Um, so especially with clothing. So um, changing seasons, having to wear pants versus shorts is like that takes a process. Um, wearing socks all day, especially now that it's winter. Um, right now, she's, I'm kind of like able to talk her through it. Like, this is why we wear socks um, to keep our feet warm. Um, but I can tell that they, that they sometimes bother her and she needs a break from them. Um, so we have other alternatives like wearing slippers or um, cozy shoes or something like that. Um, and then dressing outside for winter was it took a very long time to have her comfortable enough to wear layers wear mittens wear hats um and yeah just something for also also to kind of notice too for babies who um kind of have that more uh, sensitive system is sometimes they're labeled as this like good baby because, because they're so nice and calm um but it's really because their body just sitting there might already be at its level of like where it wants to be for sensory input. So just like watching you and listening to what's going on in the room might be enough for their bodies. They're not seeking out any more input. Um, and so these babies might not be the most active babies. And I think sometimes they come with this like label of being a good baby, which they totally are. Um, right. <clears throat> And I mean, all babies are good babies, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're not really going out and seeking anything because 
um, they might be fearing what's going to happen. Um, and these babies, sometimes they hate tummy time because that's providing a lot of proprioceptive input. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's what my daughter looked yeah. like. Um, and now she is a toddler. Um, and yeah, we're kind of working through that sort of we're working our way through toddlerhood. Um, but I guess before I get to those examples, let me flip and also talk about my youngest daughter, who is yeah. the opposite. Yeah, um, yeah, so I could, just using the winter clothing as an example, I could literally put her in anything and she would be like, all right, cool, I'm good to go. <laughs> just like, is fine. Um, which is kind of where I like noticed that she is completely different. Um, she was also very busy, like even as a newborn, like one of the things um, that parents can kind of look out for and what I kind of talk about in playgroup too is even um, before they have a ton of like control of their movements, these babies are like thrashing their arms around pulling at your hair when you're trying to nurse or feed them, um, pulling at your clothes, looking for things to touch, just looking to do something with their bodies. Um, they, uh, Kate is my youngest daughter. She also loves any sort of like texture, tactile input on her body. She like, it's one thing when you start to kind of like introduce solids, they all babies are going to get messy. They don't have this sort of like fine motor input to be able to keep their hands and fingers clean and those sorts of things. But you know that you kind of have that like lover of tactile input, that seeker when they actually like take it and just rub it all over their faces. Smear it everywhere. Yeah, just it's constantly smeared in her hair. Like she just loves the feeling. Like she's constantly giving herself like a yogurt mask. Um, <laughs> and she loves like doing that with food. She died like dives like face first into water and puddles where Kara like she gets a droplet of water on her clothes and we're like done with being outside um rolls in the dirt loves everything outdoors um and then her recent thing that we've kind of discovered is that I would say like within the last like few months is she's been taking like clothing like really soft clothing and loving to rub them on her face it's like her cozy things so she's been going to bed with blankies um because she just likes to feel and rub them and rub them on her face and just sort of those sorts of things you might sort of notice um for kiddos who do have that under responsive system who are seeking out that type of input um she loves to move she loves to climb she has no gravitational insecurities I catch her trying to stand on the dining room table um she's yeah, just like an overall loves, loves play, loves yeah. movement, loves, loves everything. She's like doesn't dog. have a lot of, <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty easy. Like these are simple things that it doesn't, like, I don't want people to feel overwhelmed with like, oh my gosh, I need to start, you know, really observing and watching my kids so that I can better, you know, set them up for whether that be activities or helping them with like dressing and all of these things it's, it's very simple. Like just watch your kids, you know, and, and you, you know, your kids better than anyone. Like you're, you just have that intuition and like you, you, you're with them all the time. Of course, it's going to be easy to, to recognize. And especially if you necessarily have, as you mentioned, like you have two kids that are completely different. And I'm sure that was very easy to tell from a really early age as well. Yes. Yeah. My kids are not old. Uh, my oldest will be three on Saturday and my youngest is 16 months. So just like already I've like gathered this, um, information. And of course, like, as we talked about their sensory systems are going to mature, they're going to change. Um, but right now this I can tell is where their sensory sort of preferences are. And like, and like you said, I don't want families to stress about like <clears throat> incorporating any sort of activities because as you kind of heard with my examples, like they're already naturally doing what they want to do based on their sensory preferences. So um, even as an OT, I can't say that I'm giving them a ton of intervention uh, right. because their day-to-day -day functioning is fine. This is just, these are just kind of like my observations. Um, and then we can talk to about like how, um, I have some good examples of how I, I set them up for success. So. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we go right into that? 
when you're approaching either like a sensory sensitivity <clears throat> kiddo or a seeker, I feel like it's really all about prepping them. Um, so with uh, a sensory sensitive type of um, preference, uh, if you can prep them as much as you can for a situation. So you kind of want to just like anticipate what's going to happen that might overwhelm their bodies or overload their system and let them know about it. Talk about what it might feel like. Um, and then also talk, like, see if you can kind of generalize it. Like, Hey, remember the time that we did this kind of trying to maybe think about something similar. Um, and then letting also just like letting them know that you're here for support. Um, and if they need to take a break, um, just like making sure that you're also there to kind of co-regulate with them. Um, and then if they're older, you know, just making a game plan with them to let them know if they need to take a break. Um, and then any sort of strategies that they might need. So like if you're going to a place that might be really loud, like bringing along some headphones, some like noise canceling headphones. Um, if you are heading to the beach um, and you know that the sand really bothers them saying like, hey, um, we can try it out. Like the sand with like bare feet for a little bit, we can switch to these water shoes. We can go hang out in the tent um, and then just, uh, praise them for having a positive response if they do and they decide to take that break as well. Um, and then even if they don't have a positive response and you have like a, a big meltdown, just let, uh, talking about it, um, acknowledging their feelings like, hey, I know your body is super overwhelmed right now. This is what we're going to do to take a break. Um, and just kind of verbally explaining how they're feeling and recognizing their feelings is going to be great. Um, so yeah, this is something, um, I, like I said, my daughter is only three, um, and I prep her for everything and she loves being in the know. I think it's also just something that toddlers and children just want to know about anything that you're doing that day. Um, so like some semblance of control and predictability too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she, we like talk about what we're doing every day. Um, I always try to relate it to something that we've already done. Um, yeah. And then also, <laughs> I think this is just like a weird random fact too, that I love about toddlers and children is like giving them what I call is controlled control. So giving them like an A or B option that it, it doesn't really impact anything. So like, do you want to wear a dress or a shirt today? Or do you want to wear leggings or jeans? This is what yeah. we like talk about. Or do you want to use the Mickey toothbrush or the other toothbrush? Like, it's just like, you're both ending with the same outcome, but, um, but you, you're giving them some control, but you are controlling like the activity right. that's happening almost. Yeah. Um, we do that a lot in our house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's a great thing to start like at the beginning. And I think really prevents like a ton of meltdowns because you are allowing their, their little bodies to have control of something. Um, even though you know that you ultimately have control of everything, but, um, but yeah, so that's sort of how I work um, with my daughter on sensory sensitivity and just like always acknowledging and respecting like her responses to things. Um, and I think it's always like a, a learning curve with everybody. I have to sometimes, <clears throat> I'm sure my husband will hate me for saying this, but like, like, especially when he's like trying to rush out the door and she's like, my shoe doesn't feel right. My shoe doesn't feel right. And I have to stop and be like, you have to respect kind of like what she's saying because it's going to feel different for her than you might know in your mind or right. whatever. So just like taking that like few seconds to take off her shoe, look at her sock, like adjust it. Um, yeah, that's it's a just, hard one when we're in a rush as parents or like when we know we need to be out the door or we have yeah. things to do and like they're coming right. along with us and them taking forever to finish something um or put something on again because of those thresholds and preferences really yeah it can be so easy to like just get so frustrated and impatient with them but again like taking a step back 
big breath, like realizing, okay, they're doing the best with what they can handle and what their body can do, like handle right yeah. now. I need, my job is to support them in this moment. Right. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I just, I think there has definitely been moments. We are not obviously perfect as parents where we just rush out the door and she ends up screaming and it just ends up snowballing into something else Um, because she wasn't able to like calm and regulate her body after that. So it was just, yeah, just take this. But we always know, like moms are so smart. We, we know, even if we have to do that, like, you know, the whole ride to school or wherever you're going, as the meltdown continues, you're like, you know, if I only took that extra second to help her fix her sock, you know, none of this would have happened. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. A hundred percent. Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, sort of my sensory sensitivity and avoiding sort of strategies and game plans, working on that sort of prep before something happens. Mm -hmm. And then even if you can't prep, um, if something happens and just talking through it, like trying to see their perspective, um, trying to give strategies and then just like being supportive. Um, so then with babies, toddlers, kids who are sensory seeking, you're like really active ones, you're going to prep, but kind of in a different way. So, um, I don't foresee Kate really, needing lots of talking through of what we're going through for the day but um what I do do with her is making sure that her body um is ready so making sure that um if I'm anticipating like a long car ride or having to sit down for dinner or um, going to a restaurant just like things where I know that she uh, is gonna be more successful if she has <clears throat> a calmer body, I'm going to make sure to prep her, um, with activities that kind of make her reach that threshold, make her feel regulated before we go do something. Um, and these sorts of activities are called like heavy work activities. Um, I think that, uh, if you kind of research any sort of like sensory processing activities, like heavy work activities come up, um, probably the most because generally, whether you're sensory sensitive or a seeker, um, across the board, they're very calming because they provide that deep sort of work, um, into your proprioceptive system in your muscles and your joints and your tendons. Um, and it's just any sort of, of that sort of work. I don't know if you've ever like cuddled your own self in like a weighted blanket or like somebody gives you a big hug, like that sort of input is just generally calming. Um, and it also, kind of for those seekers it's going to give them a ton of input and make them the idea is that it's going to um help sort of regulate their bodies to then be able to participate in a seated sort of calming activity um so yeah uh lots of good ways to incorporate that um i one of my first suggestions always is um to help uh to do something in your transition. So when you're walking down the hallway, um, when you're going up the stairs, changing room to room, um, you can do any sort of animal walks. You can walk like a bear, walk like a crab. Wheelbarrow walks are great. Um, frog jumps are awesome. Um, there's sort of any like big body movement. Um, and then if they're not able to do those. So right now, um, Kate isn't able to do them, but, um, sometimes we just run cause like her latest skill is that she's, she's been walking for a few months, but like running. And so, um, or like walking or crawling, I'll set up some pillows on the floor that gives her enough resistance, um, that it's really working her body. Um, sometimes I'll load a few books into a laundry basket and see if she'll push it across the room, um, pull it back. Sometimes I load something in the stroller or the kid grocery cart, see if she'll push that around, um, playing like a tug of war with her. Um, yeah. And then for even like backtracking for like little infants again, um, tummy time is great. Um, infant massage is great, but they're, they can also be just like fine seated for a while. (laughs) Um, but yeah, those are some those are some good ways to sort of like prep their bodies, um, before having to do an activity where they're going to have to be contained. For sure. um, yeah. Helping kind of 
set them up for, for a calmer space um, after that. We've been doing it a lot too, not only in transitions, but um, to help with like behavior sometimes. Like if I know it's going to be bedtime soon, but she's still kind of amped up, um, you know, I'll say, why don't we hop, hop like a frog to, to your bedroom? Um, because again, it will, and, and like, if she's having a meltdown, A, then she gets excited because now she's jumping and she thinks that's fun. Um, but, and she's now focused on that instead of being upset about having to go to bed. And, and again, I'll present it as a choice. Like, oh, do you want to run to your bedroom or do you want to hop like a frog to your bedroom? But either way, it's bedtime. Either way, we have to get there. Um, so that kind of thing, again, of like the controlled control. Um, but yet they have a say. And she's been loving like all the animal jumps lately. And she's she's totally a, a seeker for sure. Like we, we've been giving hugs and her new thing um, I started doing with her. I kind of just played with it and she's definitely taken to it. I was giving her a hug and then I just started squeezing her really tight. And I was like, big squeeze, you know, and she, and now every time she gives us a hug, she goes, big squeeze. And she just loves that. So again, like you can play around with it too. If you can kind of observe certain things with your kids and then try different things. And it's, it'll be really quick to know whether they respond, you know, positively or negatively to that. So you can always go from there too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And oh, the big squeezes. I love that. Um, yeah. But just like, if like your kid likes one thing, um, yeah, just like try and generalize it to, or to something else that sort of has the same sort of feeling like switching it up. Um, yeah, is all great too. Yeah. For sure. And I think another thing I was thinking of too, I was thinking of myself and my daughter of like some of my memories I have when I was little, um, when you were just kind of explaining different, like how a child might present or, you know, things they might do depending on which preference they have. Like I was definitely, more of a sensory sense, like sensitive in terms of, as you were mentioning with your oldest daughter, the getting dressed for outside specifically in the winter. Like that was, mm -hmm. I, I have like nightmares of being in the hall in elementary school of that time where you would get dressed before recess. And, you know, I had to do it in a very specific way. Like if my socks weren't tucked in underneath like that inside fold of the snow pant first and then put into the boot so like nothing was moving everything was in its place like my mitten had to be on before I put it through the sleeve of my coat I could mm -hmm. not, not after like I was very sensitive with that kind of thing but then again you mentioned with your daughter and like blankets to her face I I was the same way I'd go to bed and that's where I was more of a seeker because I loved, I had a cow blankie that I like a certain spot on it. I would rub in between my fingers and I had to, ha I had to do that every single night. Like that was such a calming thing for me. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to like, look back on myself and now of course, observing my daughter and putting together like, oh, well I was, you know, I'm a seeker for maybe certain tactile things, but then sensitive in maybe, you know, proprioceptive ways or however that it like you, yeah. you can look at it after the fact and realize like just because one system might be sensitive doesn't mean all of them necessarily will, will be and again that's not there's it's no right or wrong it's not good or bad yes yeah totally I am like the exact same way like I have a lot of like uh, sensitivity towards like tactile input um like I can't I can't deal with like messy hands I can't do lotion on my hands I'm constantly washing them like prepping food is like an issue because I'm always just like yeah. I can't do this um yeah and then just like clothes on my body sometimes have to fit a certain way it's just yeah you can be a, it's not across the board and I wasn't I feel like it necessarily wasn't always like this um so yeah I think it's just an example of how like they can change day to day they, they can change as you mature um and yeah you don't and you're if you're a seeker you don't have to be a seeker with everything I think it's just kind of like recognizing um and just like cataloging your experiences and how you respond to them and then how other people around you respond to them. And sometimes it's a lot easier to recognize them in other people before you start recognizing them in yourself. Um, so yeah. For sure. No, those have been really, really great examples. Um, super practical, real life. Again, like you don't need to overcomplicate things. Every natural activity and task that we do, including skills like just dressing, those sorts of things, like is sensory related. Um, so just being open and observing um, for yourself and, and your kiddos and, and just helping them along the way because they're really, I mean, that's a lot to process and figure out 
um, for themselves too. They're going to need the support. So the more that we educate ourselves about it and these systems, the better our kids will be. Yes. Yeah. And definitely just like, as you are noticing these behaviors in your kids, having like open discussions with them as a parent about what you're seeing and like, um, and why something might be happening. So like, wow, I can see that your body is really wanting to move. Like, let's do something about that. Um, and then, or like, I can see that your shirt is all crumpled up in the sleeves of your jacket. That must really bother you. Like, let's fix that. So, and I think just like having those open discussions with them, like, even if you have to have them like repetitively. Um, I know that's something that we like worked on a lot in therapy was that like the kids aren't going to learn how to necessarily regulate themselves um, automatically. Like you are going to have to be their mirror for them um, and just kind of say like, this is what I'm noticing. This is something we can do about it um, before it becomes kind of like an automatic behavior for them. So they're not going to initially recognize that their body needs to move and then do like regulating activity. You are going to have to be that mirror and just sort of like have those open discussions with them about like what you're noticing and what you can do to kind of like help them feel better and be successful. For sure. And I, because I think a lot of, a lot of behavior, like on the other end of it is like, let's say something erupts or a meltdown happens or all of a sudden they're having a tantrum or you know maybe they lost it on a on a friend right they got upset and sometimes that behavior we can be quick to like go right to you know you you shouldn't yell at your at your friend or instead of getting to the bottom of well why why were you so upset in the first place why were you yelling at your friend why you know, did you have a meltdown in the car when I thought everything was fine? Like, let's get to that root cause because a lot of the times it is a sensory reason. Um, yeah. And the kids aren't going to know that either. And and even for us as the parents, like we have to do that digging and go back a little bit and kind of replay, like what just happened in the last five minutes? Like, why was he fine? And now all of a sudden it's, it's meltdown city. Like what, what just happened? What, what did I miss? And going back and realizing there has to be a reason. And it's not necessarily just because, you know, you said no, or like, maybe you said no, sure. And that added to it, but really it was because they were already so overstimulated with some auditory stuff in the house before you left or something else. Like it's oftentimes related to a sensory reasoning, um, which I think, you know, and then it goes, that goes on all the way through toddlerhood school age. Like a lot of the times you see issues in the classroom and, and it's not necessarily an attention or behavioral thing necessarily, but, or, or it turns into that because of a sensory issue. Um, so that's just another good thing to keep in mind, I think. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. That like that auditory thing literally happened to us last week. My daughter was like, my older, <clears throat> older daughter was coloring at the table and then just all of a sudden was like so overly frustrated with it and like threw the box of crayons, like wanted to rip her paper. And I was like, Hey, Hey, what's going on? And it was just that, like, she was trying to so hard to concentrate on this art project and Kate came in with this like obnoxious disco toy that was like making a ton of noise and that just like she was already feeling frustrated with like how the project wasn't going and then just like that just little extra auditory input just like sent her through the roof um so yeah definitely you made such a great point of how like really working on like the root cause of some behavior is a lot of because of our sensory processing system. Yeah. And talking to them, like you said, kind of t- telling that story after the fact. And because like your older daughter might not have known that it was necessarily, um, I'm getting their names mixed up, but like her, her bringing the disco thing in, like maybe she didn't even realize like that's what set her over the edge. Maybe she did. They, she might have that insight, but sometimes, you know, kiddos don't, right. It's more of like, at that point, they've just reached, they've reached the limit and that now they're over, overspilling and they're not able, whereas when we can step in and be like, oh, you know, I noticed you were doing really well with your coloring until your sister came in with that toy. Like, is that what, did that upset you? You know, did that put you over the edge? And then it's kind of like putting two and two together of, and helping the kiddo realize like, oh yeah, you know, I, I was having a good time, but you know, that was too much for me or that that's what upset me. Um, so yeah. just talking back to them and kind of showing them that, you know, cause again, you're just talking about their emotions and then the sensory systems and all of that learning is so important. Yeah. So important. And then providing like examples of like 
what can happen next time. So Hmm. obviously she is only three and next time she will do the exact same thing. She's going to throw her crayons and become annoyed because that's the level that she's at. But just me talking about like, okay, well next time maybe we can just calmly turn around and be like, can you shut that off? Like, mom, can you help? It's too loud. Um, just like providing those examples with the hope that one day that's going to happen instead of like meltdown. Um, but for right now, just like being comfortable with, um, your kids reactions and supporting them through that. And just knowing that if you continue providing good examples, if you continue providing this like support and having discussions with them, like it, it will have an impact um, on how they're kind of like able to cope and regulate themselves later in life. For sure. For sure. It's also important. And it's also related. Like it just, I could go on and on, but I'll leave it at that. It's all very (laughs) intertwined and, um, we don't need to overcomplicate it, but yes. Yeah. And I will say that, um, we are obviously talking about our own selves and our children. Um, and they, there's, uh, right now at this moment, uh, there's nothing that I feel that we need like outside help for. Um, but for listeners who are listening and, um, I just want you to know that when, um, your kiddos, like different sensory preferences and their sensory processing difficulties become, hard for you as a family unit to function, um, day to day. Um, and if it's really impacting, um, causing a lot of stress within your house, please, um, know that that is a time to seek out help. Um, uh, yeah, it's just, we talked about how everybody has these different sensory processing systems and preferences and how we all just like go about our day and function and help and support our children. But, um, when you really feel like, uh, you need outside help, reach out to your primary care physician. Um, they can get you in touch with a local, um, therapy clinic. Um, yeah. And get you kind of like started on a path to, uh, where you can get some like individual help and feedback. Um, so you're not necessarily just kind of trying to make conclusions or search for things, um, by yourself, uh, definitely in those situations where it's causing stress on you or your family's life, you're going to want that sort of like tailored, um, evaluation and then treatment and intervention strategies as well. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing that up. That's a good point because as much as we are different and our systems are different there, there is a point or there can be a point where of course, um, I'm sure many people have heard, like there is a disorder, like the sensory processing disorder is a thing. Um, and that's pretty common actually. It's, it's really common and that's not again, necessarily bad, but it does mean that you might need some extra outside professional support, um, for, for your kiddo, um, to, to just get through and be able to regulate a little bit better. Yeah, it's truly, and I think um, that sort of type of therapy is really going to just take a deep dive into uh, looking at what sort of sensory systems are impacting um, their processing and their function, and then um, helping them with coping and calming strategies. They're going to help work on exposure, kind of what we were talking about, how um, it's just a continued practice of their um, receptors and then their brains and their body's response, um, to kind of help. Um, so then when they are exposed to that, like stimuli or that input that is causing so much, um, distress or dysfunction, uh, that it sort of like helps to reduce that response or they can come up with an appropriate response. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what, what a more tailored therapy would look like. Definitely. No, I love that. Thank you for, for bringing that up. That's definitely important. Yeah. Chelsea, this has been super informative. I hope everyone gains a lot of insight and information from this. Um, I think it's certainly needed and it's talked about a lot. Like I feel like sensory just in general, like that word is thrown around so much and like sensory play and all of this stuff, but just getting down to the nitty gritty of like what sensory processing is, (laughs) how our nervous systems show up, regulate, respond, um, our preferences, our thresholds. Like I, I very much appreciate you taking the time to go into detail about, um, each, each kind, you know, sensory seeking versus sensitive and and how that might show up. And then some hands-on practical tips or strategies of how, or like just things to do with your kiddos throughout the day. 
I think this has been super helpful. <laughs> yes, good. Yeah, I hope that um, that any of the listeners come away with some tips that you can kind of integrate uh, today. Um, yeah, and any sort of like sensory input, any sort of sensory play is going to be great um, for your babies, for your toddlers, for your children, as you as an adult. Um, yeah, just taking time to just sort of watch your kiddos, watch yourself, collect some data, and then yeah, just go from there. Yeah, for sure. Where can people reach out to you if they want more information or if they need some extra support or they have questions or if you want to share a little bit about the playgroups that you run? Um, where are you on all the on all the things? Sure. So um, right now I'm just on Instagram. Um, I feel like I have I cannot navigate Facebook business. I don't know how it works. There are way too many buttons. Um, so right now I'm just on Instagram. Um, my uh, name is at uh, playful.development. Um, and you can, uh, listeners can DM me uh, through there. Um, I can also provide you with my email address. It's the same playfuldevelopment.main at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, right now I'm just, uh, providing playgroups, um, for parents and infants, pre-crawlers, um, but hoping right now we're recording in December, but hoping, um, in the new year that I'm able to kind of expand, um, and work with, I love to work with, uh, those crawlers to around like 18 months old, um, I think that that would be a super fun age and also an age that I feel like doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of playgroups or stuff going on. I think a lot of things are really geared towards this like toddler. Um, and I know bringing my 16th month old uh, to a few toddler things, I think isn't necessarily appropriate for her. So that's kind of like the goal. So be on the lookout for one of those. Um, so yeah. Great. And those are held at Ray's, right? For now. Yeah, those are, yeah, those are, um, right now we're Wednesday mornings. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure we're going to stay Wednesday mornings, but, um, just check out Ray's, uh, their website. Um, they have a calendar section where you can kind of look at everything that they have to offer. Um, I've been to quite a few of their different sort of um, classes and just there to play. It's a great play space if you want to check it out. Um, Amanda, the owner, has been uh, so great to kind of support me in starting this business and giving me a place um, to start my play groups. And uh, yeah, it has been such a success. Um, I'm glad to start to be a resource and uh, for this community. So yeah. Yeah, well, we're so happy to have you. Thank you for doing all that you do. Thanks for coming on, Chelsea, tonight. This has been so much fun, and I can't wait to get it out to all the listeners. I will chat to you soon. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Mommy in Maine podcast. I hope you learned something new and felt validated in your own experience. If you loved what you heard or it resonated in any way, please share with someone else that could benefit from listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave me a rating and review so we can continue to build this community and support all the mommies that so deserve this space.